0: Um,
1: oh, uh, I don't want a metronome.
0: I don't
1: want no metronome. <laughs> so. Hey Ben, uh, tap your fingers on the table. Welcome to the Practically Theologians podcast, where we attempt to make Reformed Theology practical, and uh, I'm here today at the Sangre de Cristo Seminary in Westcliff, Colorado, the metropolis in the Sangre de Cristo mountain ranges at 9,000 feet, here with Ferris, Ben, and Jeremy. Why don't you guys go around and just tell us what year you are in in seminary, which is a three-year program for MDiv students. And what's your favorite
0: cookie is? My name is Ferris. Uh this is my second year in uh, at sangre de Cristo seminary. Uh what other what other things were you supposed to say other than favorite, favorite cookie? cookie? Oh that's it. that's it. Okay. My favorite cookie is probably um chocolate chip with a little bit of oatmeal in it.
2: Mm. All
0: right.
2: My name is Ben. I'm a first year student. And definitely a chocolate chip cookie, but it needs to be on the softer side. And I'm Jeremy. I am a third year student. Well, third fall, I have one more summer to go after this. And my favorite cookie is a raspberry almond almoretti cookie. Wow,
1: Well, that sounds sophisticated.
2: Yeah. Well, I baked those for uh, four years. So. Yeah. Nice, Jeremy nice. is a
1: professional baker. And I'm Josh, and I'm a, a second year student. And my favorite cookie is also oatmeal chocolate chip cookie, but specifically with no cinnamon in it. There you go. Today our topic is one of interest, at least yesterday was of interest, and I thought it would be fun. I've been talking off and on with Jeremy about doing a podcast on apologetics. It's something I don't know that much about. I've listened to some people talk about it on podcasts, and I've... Listen to some lectures and stuff like that, but I haven't really gotten deep into the weeds of apologetics, per se. So, um,
2: Jeremy, what is apologetics? Good question. <clears throat> well, the term apologetics. Uh, you can actually, if you want to look at First Peter three verses uh, fifteen, you have Peter saying. Instructing Christians to always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. The word make a defense. Oh, sorry. Yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. Yes, we'll get to that. (laughs) The word there is apologia. Apologian, actually. It is a word that comes from the Greek preposition apo, from or away from, and the noun logos for word. So it means to give a word from to give a word. Hmm. Uh, we get a word apology from it, which is why some people are very confused by the pra- the term apologetics. I'm sorry that I'm a Christian. Oh, yes, that's what some people might think that you're meaning. Like, don't apologize for that. But to give to to make apologetics is to give reasoning or defense for what you believe, or even to answer the objections and questions of those who ask you.
1: Okay. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to go through this podcast kind of um, – Jeremy's kind of got a lot of information to share, but we're all going to kind of ask here and there questions. I actually have some questions prepared. Um, first of all, w- when do you want to give these uh, guidelines for doing apologetics? I think that would probably be best for towards the end. For the end? All right. So say stay tuned for, for a list of good suggestions for when you do apologetics that will not – derail your witness as a christian and might help you think productively about how to do apologetics but anyway to begin all right what if i ask my questions here as a skeptical person of this apologetics thing isn't it just for the academics why do we need apologetics what what is this it what can't i be a christian without it
2: well uh Can you be a Christian without apologetics? I suppose if you are never in a situation in your life in which you have to give a defense of your faith and know the best way to do that, then maybe. But seeing that all Christians live in the world, live with unbelievers, live with people who or or sometime in their life are going to be in the presence or with someone who doesn't know about their faith or doesn't understand their faith or hates their faith, then I would say that it is important, as Peter says here, that all Christians be ready to give a defense of that faith, and in a way that is both honoring to God, to His Word, and is uh, loving to those whom they give it to.
1: Yeah, and I would suspect we could make a biblical case for apologetics also. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if creation proclaims the glory of God, I mean, wow. mm mm-hmm shouldn't his new creation people do that too?
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. And Ferris, what do you got? Well, I mean, just related to that, um, some a lot of people would just, you know, think that it is kind of a waste of time. It is simply for academics. But I think a lot of that might just come from maybe some faulty ideas about what apologetics even is. Um, you know, being able to, have very high, hard to understand um, things concerning science and geology under your belt uh, to be able to um, stump the, the most intelligent doctorate who is going to come up to you and, and deny um, the faith or, or challenge you with all of these things he considers to be uh, factual. Um, but I really think Apologetics done really well can be done by a child
1: um,
0: who, who simply believes that uh, their God who gave to them the scriptures is able to be believed and, and to be able to, to understand that question or to understand um, what the scripture teaches about their faith and, and just simply to be able to ask uh, good questions. to to the person, uh, to get them back away from the exaltation of their own intellect to really thinking, do I actually know all these things I claim to know, that I claim speak against this Christian God?
1: So what you're saying is apologetics is kind of a natural part of
0: a Christian life. It's not a separate Mm -hmm. uh, ivory tower discipline? Yeah, and you you could get a doctorate in... Studying a lot of these things, but I think if you if you simply are confident that your God is always right, um, and know just a few things, I think I think you can even as a child be able to uh, to give a give a reasoned defense for for the faith that you have. Ben, yeah, when I think of apologetics, I group it together
2: simply with evangelism. Mm. And so I don't separate the two. Um, apologetics is evangelism. Evangelism is apologetics.
1: I was going to ask what's the difference between evangelism and apologetics.
2: Well, in my mind, not too much. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah is it is
1: it the direction?
2: Well, I mean, if you're given a reason, then you need to be prepared to give a reason in whatever conversation you're in.
1: I mean, in other words, is apologetics more on the passive side and evangelism more on the active side? Does I mean, is, we're just making a distinction, I guess, perhaps, perhaps. but it may perhaps. not be useful to make, but is evangelism more going out and seeking or just proclaiming the gospel, where apologetics is more engaging people where, like, in conversational type of situations?
2: I would say that those are good distinctions, and they definitely, as Ben says, they go hand in hand. Uh, maybe it's what apo- maybe that's what witnessing to people looks like in different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, apo- you do apologetics with a person who raises questions or, um, or challenges you, and you do evangelism with a person who also asks questions, Is what do you believe? Um, you, get, you give them the gospel, or you do evangelism to um, maybe, hmm, maybe you, you could see apologists as the pre-work for evangelism, apologetics.
1: All right, laying in groundwork or something. Yeah,
2: or but it's hard to separate the two because they both, mm-hmm. as Ben says, they intertwine so much. Is you should always do apologetics with the goal of evangelism because yeah. evan- sharing the gospel with people is the ultimate mm-hmm. purpose of all our interaction with um, non-Christians in this way. Yeah.
1: So uh, uh, something I've looked at or thought about in terms of this is Acts 17 because that's a passage I'm studying for homiletics, just to give a little sermon on. Um, by the way for the listeners who don't know what we're doing homiletics we're just taking a little a section of scripture and doing a little 10-minute sermon on that putting it together it's pretty fun but act 17 contains two different ways of proclaiming the gospel uh in thessalonica paul silas and timothy they go into a synagogue and reason with the jews there and show them that jesus is the christ that the old testament scriptures proclaimed he does that in Berea too. Paul and Silas and Timothy after they get kicked out of Thessalonica. But then Paul goes to Athens and he's standing there and he sees all these idols and his heart is uh, is kind of broiling a little bit at this or he, what does it say, his heart something within him, burned within him or something like that. <coughs> anyway, and he engages these Athenians and talks about their unknown God. Is that different than what he did at the beginning of chapter 17 in Acts where he went into the synagogues? Is it I mean, when we think about it, is one evangelism and one apologetics, or are they kind of mixed and melded there?
2: I would say they're kind of mixed, because um, with the Jews, he...
1: I don't he, want to derail the conversation yeah. by that. But, no, this, is, this I don't think yeah. it's
2: a derail. Maybe it's a sidetrack. But um, <laughs> but he what did he do with the Jews? He, he went to them on the foundation of their prior knowledge of scriptures. Mm-hmm. Whereas the um, people in Athens, he started off on the starting point of their... Um, their concept of God and said, well, let's take a look at your concept of who the gods are and then let's write in this. Mm -hmm. Who is this God that you say that you do not know? Well, I'm here to proclaim him to you today, that he's above all these gods of, uh, false gods of wood and idol. So in a sense, he did the same thing.
1: Oh, interesting. I missed this part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very true. And it's interesting. In Athens, he went to the synagogue (laughs) and then in the marketplace. So he went to the synagogue with the Jews and in the marketplace with those who happen to be there. Interesting. Huh. Well, anyway, that is a, that is a sidetrack a bit, but, <clears throat> uh, so Ferris, uh, you have your hand up.
0: One, one thing related to, you know, people talk about, you know, as Jeremy mentioned, um, apologetics being kind of pre evangelism. I, I would still say there's a right way and a wrong way to look at that. Um, I think the wrong way is to imagine that before I can share anything about the gospel with this person, that I have to step by step get them to convince to believe that there is a God and then get them convinced to believe that the scriptures are trustworthy, um, that the God of the Bible is the one true God. And then after they believe that, then I can share the gospel with them. Um, And it it just seems like that's often how it's approached. Um, But I think there's some major problems with that. But my understanding of it being pre-evangelism is in the midst of when you are sharing the gospel with someone that they're going to have some objections, some questions. And uh, in the same vein of sharing the gospel, I think you need to show them how their reasoning is actually sinful and opposed to God. Um, To present it in such a way where you show them that they're really making themselves God Mm -hmm. when they exalt their reason against him so much so if that makes sense yeah
1: i think that might tie into uh <coughs> might be thinking about, ahead. Uh, well might tie into thinking about a method for apologetics yeah and uh jeremy do you have a good method for apologetics
2: uh i do um first let me just say i definitely i really think that's a great point that you bring up is mm-hmm. that we don't go into apologizing uh, po- uh witnessing someone saying well first let me apologize to them yeah, but that's not even a verb. We just made a verb today. <laughs> yeah, um, let me give, let me do apologetics with and some and some groundwork for the gospel. You go in there with the goal and intention of sharing the gospel with someone, and in the midst of that, you oftentimes have to answer their arguments. So yeah, I think right. that's a very good uh, uh, clarification to make. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so you say there is a method, huh? mm Hmm. All right. I th- I've seen the. I've seen three. On the internet, as I was kind of looking things up, I saw something called classical apologetics, something called evidential apologetics, and something called presuppositional apologetics. Uh, so, what, what are the what what would what would, you, what would you say is the proper way of doing it, and and why?
2: Well, uh, my my view of the strongest view, um, way to do apologetics I can't speak too much about classical and evidential I don't know as much about them as I should but I am a strong uh, um, proponent of presuppositional apologetics what's this thing why, why
1: do you, what is it I don't understand Pre-sup-
2: presuppositional, presuppositional. That's um, a long, long so syllables. what is a presuppositional then and why is it a focus of apologetics well, a presupposition—you have the word "pre" and "suppose"—it is something that you, Presupp- something How many that is you. It? One, two, <laughs>
1: presuppositional six.
2: <laughs> uh, then you can say presuppositionalism. Oh, man. now to presuppose—what does it mean to presuppose something? It means that something is something that you suppose that is true that you um, that you just take for granted is true. As a basic part of your walk in life and thinking, you presuppose it. You work off of the basis of something being true, and you often don't even think about it. Yes, it's if just I put that. In green, out,
1: and I let go of my muscles. My foot will drop. And that's a stupid example, but anyway.
2: Uh, well, we do. We make. We kept, have presuppositions all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. When you uh, turn on the faucet, you presuppose water is going to come out and not gravy. When I speak yeah. to you in
1: English, I presuppose that you will understand yeah. what I'm saying.
2: So there's, we live according to presuppositions. Um, and some of them are true. Like if I turn on the faucet, because of the consistency of nature and the consistency of the water department, I'm pretty certain gravy's not going to come out. <sighs> now the problem is, is Thank that you, human man. human beings, sinful, fallen human beings, we oftentimes live according to false presuppositions. Mm-hmm. And the uh, this idea of presuppositional apologetics is that the best way to interact with somebody who is an unbeliever is to address. Their false presuppositions um, that relate to the way they think about universal truths, the way they think about the Bible, the way they think about morality, um, death, the beginning of life, end time, stuff like that. So, And that brings up another point is that the presuppositions that are of interest in apologetics are usually those that are universal in nature, those that make statements about reality as a whole. A common one today is YOLO, you only live once. That presupposes the truth that you only live once, that there's this life and then there's nothing. And what is the problem with such a statement made by a, a human being? Wow. It, How do you
0: know it's true? Right. Yeah. How do you know it's true? That, that's kind of the one question I was thinking with it. I mean, I'm sorry if you're interrupting. I'm the no, other it's guy fine. here. But. Uh, that's kind of the one question that I was thinking that a child can ask when someone advances something that's against God's uh, revelation over mm-hmm. what he says in his word. is just in a little squeaky voice to say, S- uh, excuse me, sir, I don't mean to be
2: rude, but how do you know that's true? It reminds me of and, the emperor
1: with no clothes. And that, is uh-huh. a, that
2: is a huge, I was just thinking about the same thing, and that is uh, huge. The king doesn't have any clothes on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that simple way
2: of thinking is one of the best uh, ways to deal with presuppositionals. Is like the child asking their parent when they say, clean their room, why? Uh, and, and it's like, well, parents are usually like, well, because I said so. And that is, that sometimes that's an accurate answer. Yeah. Um, but but that, that answer can take what someone has taken for granted and just shake its foundations. Mm-hmm. And to answer my own question, why is it a problem for a person to make a universal claim? Mm-hmm. is because we're not universal. So how do you make a universal can't claim without <laughs> universal knowledge? So when you say we're not universal. what, what? you mean is Oh good question. Um, we do not see reality as a whole. We do not see time and space and everything as a whole all at once. Um, in, at one time which is necessary to make universal statements nor are we okay. the creator of all things which is also helpful if you want to make universal statements so, so we're, we're not have all knowledge so basically to put it yeah. to sum it up in word one, one word man is not god therefore man cannot authoritatively make universal statements unless he has received a universal truth from a universal being from god yeah and that is one of the issues with presuppositional apologetics: is asking the question, "Did where is the foundation for a truth like YOLO?" Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. So, so right. yeah, right. there isn't
2: one.
0: Well, well, there is, but it's a wrong.
1: Where does it lie? Yeah. Yeah. Where does it stop? Where's the buck stop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it gets into like um, this, this. Uh, so, it, it sounds good attacking presuppositions and stuff, but. Uh, what does it actually mean when you're talking to somebody? What does it look like?
2: Good question. Uh, do you have a argument that you could uh, no, let's see. present? Like, especially, specifically, some one that someone would bring up regards to the Bible. I have one if you I mean, can't think of one.
1: The most logical position, not the most honest position, to me, of, of someone who truly wants to understand improperly the origins of the universe and the meaning of life and I did say improperly because they do it on purpose, I think, that's what the Bible says, uh, is the atheist position. So an atheist who's trying to make sense out of things would deny the existence of God and would probably embrace the idea of evolution. And so they would presuppose, I guess, right, that there would be no ultimate meaning to anything? Is that Would that be a presupposition of an atheist? That is, Um and what if I'm a casual atheist let's say I'm just an atheist on the street for me you know? man Christians are stupid they're ruining the world wars are started by religious people that's a problem we need to cut out religion and wars will cease
2: huh man that is a long one it takes a lot to unpack um, okay fine let's let, um, can we how about this one how about someone comes to you and says um, the Bible is not true because miracles don't exist hmm.
1: okay yeah Jesus, the excuse from me, the dead? sir. How do
2: you know that's true? Who rises exactly. From the dead? Yeah. You know, how do you know? The, the question is, how do you know that something does not
0: exist? Yeah, you would have to have absolute knowledge mm-hmm. to be able to make an absolute statement like that. Yes. Or you would have had to have been told that by a trustworthy source. Yes. That you know you can trust.
2: And also, so, yeah. Go ahead.
1: I guess my where my question is going. So it is. What impact upon the person you're speaking to are you intending to have?
2: Well, the good question. The impact is uh, to put it in a, a very visual way is to basically pull the rug out of the feet that on which they stand, so that they would be caught by Christ. Mm-hmm.
1: So, are, are we pulling the rug out, or are they doing it by themselves with the answers? I guess there's
2: kind of a, a mix we of both. It. Okay, um, we're kind of we're you're hoping to bring them to the point where they realize, hey, this isn't a strong foundation. Cool. Um, Was takes time and oftentimes takes many saying the same thing over and over again and it takes the work of God because I mean there's a difference between proof and persuasion I think uh, no it was you that said that people do this on purpose and the oftentimes yes these are views that they might not subconsciously say well I think I'm going to deny God by uh, believing in uh, relativism um, it is a it is basically a foxhole that people run to to avoid the truth you blow up one foxhole what are they going to do they're going to run to the next voxel, and then or run back to the ad- other one when they can rebuild it. So the, it is a sense. They, it is in a sense they are hiding themselves from the truth. And our job is to, as uh, Paul puts it, break down any, every argument that is a barrier and any, any objection that is a barrier against the truth mm-hmm. in our warfare.
1: All right. So presuppositionalism.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: believe there are people who have objections to this uh, way of doing apologetics. People yes. associated with Legionnaire Ministries. Big names like R.C. Sproul or John Gerstner, um, and I, I was trying to research their objections a little bit. It was it was difficult because there were a lot of words, and I had a little time. <clears throat> but I actually watched a. Uh, a lecture by Gerstner, who sounds exactly like Spool, by the way. Okay. He uncanny, does. Uncanny, yeah. uncanny. Anyway, um, and even his expressive expressions <laughs> and his chalkboard writing—it's it's weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, some of the things he brought up had to do with the idea of um, evidence. So, one question: Does doesn't presuppositionalism ignore evidential arguments? And what is an evidential argument?
2: I would say that no, they don't ignore evidential arguments. Um, Do you have, did they give an example of an evidential argument? No. Um, I think a common evidential argument is the evidence of causality. Uh, Basically, uh, all things have a cause, and something, this world exists, therefore must have a cause, and the cause of those things is God which is, uh, an old, maybe that's an older one. I'm not sure how much in use that is now, but that is, let's just take that as an evidence. And some people say, well, zing, there you go. That's my proof. Well, the problem is someone with a presupposition towards materialism would say, well, no, the cause of everything is a big bang. And, you would, and, and they would say that, and you'd be like, huh, that didn't work, let me go on to the next evidence. So rather than just presenting evidence and saying, yay for my team, you can present evidence, um, but then you have to address what the way that person is person's presupposing is going to um, interpret that evidence. Like right. you can say, look at the complexity of nature. That is obviously evidence that God exists. And All they right. say, well, no, that is just a process of thousands of years of, of chance mutations and evolutions. And you'd be like, well, if I'm you stumped. have enough time, yeah. look at what can happen. Yeah, look, what, um, I'm stumped now. But instead of saying, well, let us look at the presupposition of evolution and and address that, see if that is a – a reasonable – if that is something that can be held as a universal truth because it's founded on universal knowledge or it's founded on good science maybe Mm -hmm. and – there are lectures you can listen to to see that evolution is not even based really on good science. Oh yeah, um, but that's a whew, maybe that's another podcast discussion. Through. Yeah, just so you guys um, know
1: for the record, mathematics dis- disproves evolution with our knowledge of DNA. But anyway,
2: yes. Um, so while um, while evidences can be used, they aren't the nail in the coffin of an enemy's ar- of an enemy of an opponent's argument. Or objection, Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to address what underlies their thinking and the way they're going to look at those um, those evidences and interpret them.
1: So, what are we getting at in all this? What are we hoping to show when we do this? When we expose their presuppositions, what are we? What's What are we trying to
2: show them by this? That the only solid foundation for me having any uh, any faith or any belief in anything universal is the word of God, which he has revealed in the Old and New Testament um, and, faith, and through faith in Christ. That any other stance on worldviews, beliefs, is uh, is faulty and um, not trustworthy. So are we
1: only trying to show them that their worldview is faulty or because behind it all is truth that god exists and his word he's given us his word and reveals himself in creation
2: that's a good point are we
1: trying to actually show them that they have to borrow from our own from the christian worldview in order to make these arguments
2: that is an excellent point and yeah you're right um there are certainly ways in which um people are inconsistent in their worldview for example uh, well let me think of an example um well yeah here's one uh from the 70s you have the sexual revolution you have um, uh, get pleasure where you can get it no one no one has restraints on them to uh, um, in terms of getting pleasure they can get pleasure however they want and someone who holds to that will then especially in those eras they would say the war in Vietnam was an atrocity or hey don't steal that that's mine what they're doing is they're jumping from the worldview that get pleasure however you want to the Christian worldview of of universal right and wrong. Because they're saying everything you want to do for pleasure is right, but when it comes to stealing a wallet, then, hey, that's not right. That's mine. And that's a Christian worldview. Does that make sense? Mm
0: -hmm. I think when they respond, though, that, well, we believe that man is the highest order of being, and as long as you're not hurting anybody— and you're two consenting adults, then it's, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would, I mean, uh, how's that not consistent? Just, um, you know, I mean, it's like, as long as you're not hurting another man, that's okay. I mean, that's my understanding of the way they would think.
2: Well, my grounds would be, so why is that a standard for good? Cause sometimes you do have to, um, cause sometimes good is you sometimes do have to hurt someone for their good. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, you end up. Um, I mean, just. I guess the even the ability to, to make a standard to determine that man is the highest order mm-hmm. of beings, um, and you shouldn't hurt him. You have to have some sort of external standard of justice, which doesn't really make sense.
2: Yeah.
1: It, well, in what is in the, the external the world? The standard of justice comes from an evolutionary biological process
0: meaning um basically animals eventually figured out that life was a lot more enjoyable and their species did a lot better if they worked together and quit fighting
1: to some degree yeah
0: yeah Hmm.
2: Um, do you get then that raises a philosophical question is can you get something from the uh complete absence of something like can you get uh um, morality from the absence of morality, can you get life from non life That is typically considered a something that is, is an impossibility in the natural world yeah um, so
0: however, I guess what we 're kind of demonstrating is if you do take people on in terms of evidence, which i I think I think that 's not necessarily wrong to to you know to be able to engage them in evidence. But he eventually got to ask the question, why do you care so much? Like, why do you not want to believe mm. these things? Why, mm. you, know, um, you know, really get it down to their conflict with God instead of the logic behind their persuasion versus the logic behind our persuasion.
2: And that comes to uh, that answers one of the points that I'll bring up towards the end of the study. Is that rarely are you dealing with somebody who is looking at this as an academic pursuit? Usually, they have some reason why they are rejecting God for particular reasons, uh, Mm -hmm. because they maybe they have they fear justice, they fear judgment, and this is the way they deal with it. Or they had pain in their life, so they refuse to understand why God would allow that to happen. So that's that is a good question. That is important. Yeah, point to get to as well. Yeah. Here's a
1: second common objection mm-hmm. to presuppositional apologetics. What What about? So at the end of the day, what you say then is God exists because He says so, and His Word says He exists, verifying that He exists. Isn't that circular reasoning? What the Bible says, God exists. And God exists and gave us the Bible. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God exists
2: and gave us the Bible. It's true. And, uh, so you're saying that circular reasoning is bad. And Well, let me say very clearly about circular reasoning that when it comes to ultimate authority, circular reasoning is unavoidable. What do you mean by that? Why is that unavoidable? Well, think about this. If you have something that is your ultimate source of truth and... Uh, for the universe, your all your ultimate authority in life, and you want to verify that authority is ultimate. Where would you go? You go to I'm that ultimate to authority. Well, then doesn't that make your senses the authority over that authority? Absolutely. Yeah. So the very nature of an ultimate authority is that it's at the top, it's at the ceiling. It can't you can't go anywhere else. Yeah. So what the authority says about itself. May be seem like circular reason, but it is unavoidable. Because uh, if anything else were to become your authority on that thing, then that thing would become the ultimate authority. Also, oftentimes, a false ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, but that's the nature of the issue. Yeah. You, uh,
0: so, like for example, if I believe that this room is thirty three feet long. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a debate about it how, how are you gonna how are you gonna prove me wrong or how am I going to prove myself right?
1: I'm gonna go to France and get the unit of measure that's probably meters but from France to the standard. yeah and come here and measure it and uh, that will determine the exact dimensions of this room.
0: Okay. but then how do you know that that standard is correct? It is okay it's the base because it is the standard mm-hmm. yeah eventually you reach a point where you can't appeal to a higher all authority uh can only appeal to a higher authority and then are all the claims of authority and eventually you That's, reach the end that
1: kind of illustrates the point pretty well the idea of a standard unit of measurement right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't they adjust something like uh for ounces or, so, or weights uh, whatever they use in
0: europe but um, plus or minus like <laughs> they have to adjust it and stuff of because
1: it loses mass slowly but there is a standard if there wasn't that standard what would happen in a hospital you just give them four milliliters of something blah blah,
0: blah. well a milliliter What's to a you mil- might not if, be a milliliter yeah. to me
1: well what if my milliliters two yeah. milliliter, milliliter than this yeah quartz let's just call them quartz
0: uh-huh. what if somebody uh, I don't know if this is premature but if somebody wants to say well when we're deciding things, we need multiple points of verification, you know, as in terms of, you know, d- instead of appealing to a higher authority saying, well, we have multiple different authorities that we check against each other uh, that can attest. That'll
1: really verify it's true. Yeah. The scientific community.
0: Uh-huh. The scientific community. Okay. Yeah. This man's study. This man's study. We have five experts. Study. Okay. We'll yeah. We the same thing. Uh-huh.
1: All right, that's a good
0: question. I mean, and eventually we need to rely on certain thing that for certain things like, um, you know, what is a legitimate, what's a good uh, amount of penicillin to give somebody to treat them for some sort of infection? Um, uh, you know, is is that is that um, oh, does that at all get around circular
2: reasoning? To well, um, no, it still doesn't deal with the issue that ultimate authority is the ultimate authority. Uh-huh. Um, cause then if you're saying, well, we need all these other authorities to, uh, verify the ultimate authority, it's like, well, then they then that authority is not ultimate anymore. It yeah. is, it is dependent on these other authorities for verification. Okay. Sure. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: uh um, now, um. Coffee's brewing, in case anybody's yeah. wondering what that sound is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> now, God so, has given uh, internal testimony and and external testimony to his word. Right. To show that it is a reliable mm-hmm. source of information. Yeah. Um, if that's what you're getting at. so <laughs> Sure.
0: Um, it was just a thought I had the other day. But I guess the Westminster does have a very good uh Statement upon that um, was it the related to the word of God mm. that um, um, was it the testimony
2: of the church the internal witness eternal uh, witness yeah, the, what is it the uh, the uh, e- in the beauty of the whole or something like that yeah. I forget what the word is exactly
0: uh huh these attest to the scripture being the word of God and and truly I mean things things are not true because they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're true. Mm. And, and we would expect for what we find in the Bible to be represented in reality, you know, if, if the Bible is actually true. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't just throw um, evidence out the window and imagine that we can just close our eyes. Um, but, I mean, we should be able to look into a microscope or, or read a science textbook uh, with the confidence that God's word is true yeah, and not be afraid of those things.
2: I mean, archaeology is a great example. Archaeology has always been the friend of the Bible. Yeah. I mean, you look back in the day before the any Hittite um, artifacts were found, and people said, we know the Bible is false because there's no hist- record of Hittites. And they said, well, what about the record of the Bible? They said, well, that doesn't count. And then all of a sudden Hittite artifacts started coming up. Sure. And now we know the Hittite and mm-hmm. other cultures of the time very well because we have the biblical yeah. text.
0: And, and what presupposition does that represent when somebody says there aren't any Hittites because we haven't found any archaeological evidence of them yet?
2: Huh, that's a good question. My knee-jerk reaction is to say it is the assumption that man's knowledge is, inf- man's knowledge is final. Sure. The knowledge that man has at that moment is final. Right. Well, here's a question related to that. Another objection to presuppositional apologetics.
1: What about uh, man's ability to reason as an image bearer of God? doesn't presuppositionalism deny that man has an ability
2: to reason? Good question uh, no it doesn't but it does it does say that it's like you talked about um, people with other worldviews oftentimes have to borrow from Christianity to hold their worldview um, Vantil said that it um, that is like the image of a child sitting on his father's lap and slapping his face. The only way he can slap God's face is by sitting on His lap. But I would presuppositionalists would say that man has reason and knowledge. Knowledge is not the is authority. Knowledge is a tool that man uses to understand his world and understand truth. It's just that. Um, Okay, sorry, I got distracted for a minute by coffee. Um, it's just that man can't reason or knowledge accurately without the, without the Christian worldview. And why is that? It's, as we said before, because man is finite, man, man's logic, use of logic and reason is also limited. Therefore, we need, the, we need the testimony and truth given by an infinite source so that we can reason and logic fully and properly. Does that make sense? Yeah. We need something better than us. Yes. We can't reason... We uh, I like what Greg Bonson says on the subject. He says that an atheist can um, balance his checkbook, but he can't account for accounting. Why is that? Because he doesn't have the worldview that accounts for the consistency of nature. They depend, the uh, laws of mathematics, he must borrow from the Christian worldview in order to recognize and accept that... 2 plus 2 will always equal 4. Mm-hmm.
1: Alright. So, coming back to the question of what's the point of what are we trying to do with apologetics then? Are we trying to <coughs> expose someone to the fact that they don't really know anything?
0: That's maybe.
2: Think. Um, what we' you going to say first?
0: I think that's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's that's part of it. I think man is so, eag- so eager to or I don't know if you'd say eager, but he's, he quick very quickly thinks that if he doesn't know it, then, then it probably doesn't exist. Or, or if a man doesn't know it, it probably doesn't exist. Um, and when you look at, in the scripture, what faith is, in Romans 4, um, Paul defines it when he says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness and man believes himself um and is not ready to to hear what god has to say and believe him Uh, he thinks that he is the ultimate authority and i think when we're talking to people and we can ask them the the question you know maybe even listening to them very politely and letting them talk and say wow you're really smart you're a really smart person i'm I don't know that I'm as smart as you, mm-hmm. but let me ask you: How do you know that? How do you know that to be true? Um, and and just getting them to realize that they probably don't know as much as, as they they think they do, and they rely a whole lot on what other people tell them, and they actually uh, believe what other people tell them, and that's how they quote unquote know what they what they say they know.
1: All right. <clears throat> So, if we're trying to show them they don't really know what they think they know, what's the Bible say about what they know?
2: And you talking about Romans 1? Yeah,
1: the we, yeah. We classic yeah. text to go to, yeah.
2: right? And we actually kind of talked about that already. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that man deep down has a knowledge of God. Um, God has made him and put a, a, a knowledge of who his creator is. Should I read it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, read it.
1: Um, and I'll start with eighteen, verse 18 in Romans 1. Uh, and go through to... All the way through to 23 It's pretty good uh, to kind of demonstrate what the Bible says about the knowledge of man. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's an active suppression of truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God has shown it to them himself. Interesting. Of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and, may I say, and brain power. Mm. But Yeah. Anyway, that's the classic text yeah. for mm-hmm. thinking about yeah. this, isn't it?
2: It is. And um, part of, we've discussed already what part of the uh, presuppositional is, is finding those places where they are depending on their the Christian worldview that they are rejecting. Yeah. Those uh, um, remnants of their knowledge of God that still exists, and saying, not really saying, "aha, uh-huh, but saying, see, mm-hmm. you're dependent on God. Yeah, look, yeah.
1: yeah, look, you're borrowing from this worldview of truth that you deny exists, basically, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: I' say, in light of Romans one, um, if we can answer someone's objections uh, very respectfully, I think I think a next step is something I heard in um, uh, it was, there was a panel on apologetics, and, and one man he he was he let everybody talk, and then he said, you know, I think there's a really a lot of good things that we can we can learn from one another. But he said, what I end up doing with a lot of people is after we've talked it out for a while, I say, you know, I'd like to ask you something. If I were able to prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that jesus christ rose from the dead that he is god would you bow down and worship him ha! and he said a whole like a hundred percent of the time they say absolutely not they, there you go. they would not that's what jesus said yeah. even if a man raised from the dead yeah you wouldn't believe it. right yeah um and i guess along with that we trust in the holy spirit when we do apologetics, or evangelize to anybody. And ultimately, our reason is, apart from the, the spirit
2: working in the heart, our reason is not going to do anything for them. Yeah. Um, uh, bon- Greg Bonson, a well-known um, proponent of presuppositional apologetics, says the exact same thing. He says, no, this, uh, there's a difference between proof and persuasion. Mm-hmm. You can blow up every it's one person's argument, all of their arguments, and you'll have the same... Unless the Holy Spirit changes their heart, gives them new life so that they can see the kingdom of God and see their sin and run to the Savior in faith, they will not believe. Yeah. So that is, I, I, well said, Ferris, that is the u- ultimate goal of all of our apologetics and evangelical work. Mm-hmm.
1: Is that man would bow down and worship and fear yes. one of their sinners and look mm-hmm. for a Savior? We decided to turn this podcast into two parts. You can find part two on our episode page please look it up we hope you enjoyed this part one of our apologetics talk go ahead and leave any feedback at podcast at practicallytheologians.org or you can find our facebook page somewhere out there leave feedback there too or if you have any questions or topic suggestions we'd be happy to entertain those thanks for listening